Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. I just want to greet everybody in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm delighted that we can gather together. I see some new faces, and I just want to extend a warm welcome to everyone. And if you are ever seeing a big uh, smile on our worship leader's face, you got to know something happened to him. He touched me. That's why he chose that song. And I'm, I'm so excited to let you know that his wife finally arrived. And uh, we just give glory to God. And we, are, and we are looking forward to having her in the midst of us after 14 days of quarantine. Anyway, uh, as you know that I call this the Tour de Colosse. We are just going through the book of Colossians. And it's been an interesting journey. And believe it or not, today is the 15th day. I keep counting these number of days and seeing how, how long it's going to take for us to finish the book of Colossians. And today we are going to look at only one verse. Just one verse. So that doesn't mean the sermon is only one minute or two minutes, but the, the, we are going to only look at one verse. It's more preaching than teaching. So I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And let me uh, very quickly give you, a, give you an outline or a context so that you can follow along as we go through this. Paul is writing to a church facing troubles from false teachers. And we know that. We have been studying that and exhorting them to have faith in God. That's what Paul is doing. So the first two ch- chapters, he set the stage by showing how the teachings of Christ and Christ himself are superior to all other claims. That's what the first two chapters are about. And as you come into chapter 3, is a transition to practical matters within the church. So Paul begins the chapter 3 in the first two, first uh, five verses with an uplifting theme that we must seek and set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So after speaking about the doctrine, he spells out how our behavior should change. So I gave the title, Kill Your Sin Before They Kill You. It's a beautiful title. And last Sunday, we looked at part one. I like to call it part one. So Paul tells them that they should kill or put to death. These terminologies are very important put to death, kill, and he's talking about sexual immorality and greed. And we went into much detail about that. But today, it's part two. We are looking at verses 8 to 9, but I'm going to only focus on 8. In verses 8 and 9, which you heard being read, Paul spells out two sets of sin, which are not so much personal as social. So these are committed directly against other people. So we're going to look at just one of them today. But before I start, 
share the word with you, I want to share some photos with you, which I found very interesting as I browsed through the net. Now, just bear with me. Okay, there we go. I want you to look at this picture. Isn't it cute? A baby. How about this one? I love those pictures. That's very cute, isn't it? And then we see some toddlers. Then we see some teenagers. I see some of you here, right? And then we get the young married couple. Keith, you ain't seen nothing yet, son. The best is yet to come, okay? And, and then, as you get older, then this is the senior couple, right? You don't want to fight about it. But when you get much older than that, that's going to be different. So the question I want to ask you guys is, that what do you see common in all these pictures that I showed you? They're all angry. They're all angry. Anger seems to be a common problem from the littlest to the oldest. No one is exempted from anger. Babies have it. I know the toddlers have it because I have got one at home. And the children go through it, little girls, they are cute when they are angry, but still they are angry. The, the boys, they are a treat to see. Then the couples during courtship and, and pre-marriage and post-marriage and, and, and so on and on. So anger is a problem to every human being, young or old. And what we are seeing is they are all angry. That's what they are seeing. So when I did some reading, please church come along with me, I saw there are different types of anger. I thought anger is only anger. But no, that's not the case. And I was so dumbfounded to see how many we have. And I'm sure we can relate to that as we go through that. And what I want you to do is that when I go through that, you may jot down the ones you can relate to. Or even better, if you see in your own household, some members of your household has got these problems, you can jot it down and talk to them later on. So here we go, the types of anger. I'm going to show you that. The first one is behavioral. I'm going to go through very quickly. This is the type of anger is being aggressive towards whatever trigger. This is a short-tempered, ticking, time, ticking time bomb. And the second one is passive anger. These people using sarcasm and mockery to express their anger. The third one is verbal it is to express, to criticize and insult people. They, they, they pierce the hardened heart. Then you have the constructive anger. The people is driving people to join the, the, the movements and the groups and angry with the system and government and so on and so forth. Then you have the self-inflicted anger causing harm to one's own body, punishing themselves. Then you have volatile anger. because appear out of nowhere. You don't know why the man is angry. Or the woman is angry. Then you have the chronic anger, which is people are just mad in general. They are not a friendly person. I'm sure you have come across some people like that. And you have then the judgmental anger. They're putting other people down and making them feel bad and worthless. Then you have the overwhelmed anger, which relieves stress by shouting and flying off the can handle. Then you have the retaliatory anger. It's a direct response to someone lashing out. Then you have the deliberate anger, using anger to gain power. And then you have the sneaky anger, which is your boiling inside, but with a smiley face. 
and then you have the shame-based anger is very sensitive to criticism and often develop this style of anger then you have habitual anger they wake up grumpy all the teenagers I'm looking at you they wake up grumpy and and getting angry about small things I know growing up with my little girl or boy I don't want to say but I can't go to the room till about 10 in the morning on a weekends they're grumpy I'm not looking at anybody then you have the moral anger they have the, they think they have the right to become angry then you have the hateful anger which is you know towards diversity of people the race religion and caste then you have violent anger which is you know you grew up in a in an abused environment and 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 you are violent because of that and then last but not least you have the righteous anger the anger against sin so when you look at all these groups of anger I'm sure that you can relate to one or at least one of them and then you know you will see there are two categories of anger that we have we have the righteous anger then you have the sinful anger so with this broad understanding let us dive into the text today let's look at the passage I got the new King James Version it says but now you yourselves are to put off all these and Paul spells out a few things anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth the NIV puts it differently but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips so let me explain these terms first so that we understand what they are the anger and wrath are often used somewhat synonymously now anger has the nuance of a settled deep-seated animosity that grows into hatred that's what anger is now wrath comes from the Greek word meaning to boil or it refers to a sudden outburst of anger malice is of course a general terms for moral evil or wickedness blasphemy is another term for slander that's why I put the both the translations there that's blasphemy against God means to damage God's honor or reputation so here it means to speak against someone by tearing their reputation making them look bad and making us look good that's what Paul is talking about here then of course filthy language is another term for abusive speech using ins insults maybe profanity to put down another person church our young our anger usually works its way out in angry words and tear into the other person tears the person down so as we look at verse 8 what you see on the screen here Paul seems to be saying this are you angry I'm sure if I ask you you'll all say yes at some point in your life Paul is saying put off in other words just stop it that's what Paul is saying here church I wanted to note that Paul's command shows that when we get angry we don't have to yell we don't have to use foul language that attacks the one we are angry at that's the message we are getting from here we can control our tongue even when you are angry to bring grace and healing well you may say pastor that does not sit well with me 
It doesn't look right. It's totally impossible to control it. You might say, Pastor, when I was a child, my parents abused me, so now I seethe with anger. Paul is asking, are you a believer? Just stop it. Put it off. And you might say, Pastor, my wife nags me constantly. Not my wife, though. I had to go home until I explode with anger. Paul says, are you a believer? Put it all aside. Just stop it. And you may say, my husband is a workaholic who leaves all the housework. I do all the chores in the house. I'm mad at him. Paul is asking, are you a believer? Put it all aside. Or you might say, my kids talk back to me. They don't listen to me. I have no control over them. Paul is asking a question. Are you a believer? Put it aside. Just stop it. Pastor, you don't understand my workplace. My boss just drives me nuts. Paul is saying, are you a believer? Put it aside. Just stop it. Wow. So I want you to pay attention to this church because it's a very personal message to every one of us. A change of behavior is what's been called here. Paul doesn't say it'll take years of uh, psychotherapy to work through your anger issues. He doesn't say that here. He says, put it aside. Just stop it. Paul doesn't say that you, as new believers, you've got to sign up for anger management courses. He says, just stop it. Put it aside. Church, for a moment, please, I want you to place yourself in the position of the saints in Colossae, who are receiving these letters, the letters of instruction. And they didn't have study Bibles or Christian books like what we have today. There were no video series showing how to overcome anger. And there were no magazines with some self-help of handling anger management. All Paul says here, directly he is attacking, he says, put it all aside. Just stop it. That's amazing. There's a lesson for us to learn. Because we find every reason to justify our anger. Paul says, stop it. Put it off. So what can we learn from this verse in the context of this letter? That's the question. Come along with me, please. So the, there are four simple steps I want to spell out, you can write down or you can, you can take a picture later, whatever you want, want to do. The first thing is to reason out. To reason out. Honestly, analyze your anger to determine whether it is righteous, sinful, or mixed. Whenever you're angry, stop and analyze. Why do I say this? Look at this, church. When you, we studied verse number 6 last time, now, when Paul mentions verse number 6, because of this, what's the next word? The wrath of God, verse number 6. You're with me so far? Right. So Paul mentions the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That's what Paul is saying in verse number 6. And when you go to verse 8, we see that, but now you yourself have to put off all this anger and wrath. He tells us to put aside all anger and wrath. Church, listen carefully. Anger in verse number 8 
is the same Greek word as wrath in verse number 6. Same Greek word. Oh, wow. Wait, pastor, then you might ask me this question. If, but if God has wrath and He gets angry, and we see many examples in the Old Testament, and if we are to be godly and if we are to mimic God, then why do we need to put aside wrath and anger? A good question to ask, isn't it? If God has wrath and He is angry, and if we are to be like Christ, why should I put off wrath and anger? A great question that warrants an answer. So that's the reason, church, we need to understand there are two distinctly different categories of anger, as I pointed out earlier. You have the righteous anger, and you have the sinful anger. So let me say what sinful anger is first before we talk about righteous anger. If it does not fall within the parameters of the righteous anger, it is sinful anger. Simple as that. If it doesn't fall within the parameters of righteous anger, it is sinful anger. So what is righteous anger? That's the next question that you want to ask. So it's godly reaction to sin or injustice. That is righteous anger. God's wrath is His settled opposition against sin. The key mark of righteous anger is that it reacts against actual sin. That's what it is. Now, this means that for anger to be righteous, please follow along because I know that every one of us have this problem. For this means that the anger to be righteous, it cannot arise in response of a violation of my preferences. That is sinful anger. It cannot arise because I have been inconvenienced. That is sinful anger. It cannot arise because I feel my rights, my freedom have been trampled upon. That's sinful anger. Righteous anger reacts against what really is sin. Jesus was angry without sinning when he encountered unbelief or hypocrisy. So if we become like Jesus, we too will be angry and feel hatred towards sin, hypocrisy, and injustice. And church, in fact, when you hear the, of babies being slaughtered by abortion or when, when criminals going without proper punishment, it's natural for you to get angry. And if you are not angry, most likely you are not godly. You have to be angry because that is against sin. So the first step in dealing with your anger is to stop and honestly analyze, is this a righteous anger or sinful anger or is it a mixture of both? So think about why you are angry before you react. Why am I angry? You know, God used this approach with Cain when he asked the question. You know what happened to Cain and Abel? And the Lord asked this question from Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Now God is not asking questions to, so, to, to, to Cain so that he can gain some information. God knew what the problem was with Cain. But he wants Cain to take a moment to think about it, ask the question, why 
am I angry? God asked to help the person think about the situations from God's perspective. Cain was angry because God has rejected his sacrifice and Cain was jealous of his brother whose sacrifice God had accepted. Now as you read Genesis 4-7, God went on to exhort Cain to do well and to warn him that sin was crouching at the door, ready to devour him. Why? Because he did not stop and understand or analyze why he was angry. But Cain completely ignored God's counsel and he murdered his brother. We know the story. You know the same thing happened with Jonah. Jonah was angry because he wanted to judge his enemies, the Ninevites, but instead God had brought a revival and had forgiven them. God asked Jonah more than once. Look at this. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? In other words, why, Jonah, are you angry? You know what Jonah said? The reply that we, most of us give. This what, sorry. This what Jonah said. It is right for me to be angry even to death. Wow. God is asking a question, Jonah, are you sure? Do you know the reason why you're angry? He said, God, it doesn't matter what you say. For me, it is right. So be careful. We do the same. We justify our anger. We say like Jonah, it's right for me to be angry in this situation, even to death. And I have heard it many times in my counseling. It is easy to justify sinful anger by claiming that it was righteous. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You, don't, you, you do not live with this woman. You do not live with this man. You do not have my parents. You don't have my children. It's true, church. I may not, but that does not justify your anger. That does not justify anger. The embarrassing truth is that when we analyze our anger, and if you are true about it, it almost always is rooted in selfishness. In selfishness. Nothing else. It's my way, it's my pride, it's my right. It's always about me, 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 my. It's all rooted in selfishness. So the first step in overcoming anger is to reason out. Analyze it honestly before God by looking at why am I angry? If selfishness had any part in your anger, it was sinful. But we ask, Pastor, tell me how is it helpful? Uh, won't admitting that my anger was sinful only makes me feel guilty? Stay put, church. We are going to go through that in a minute. So the first step I said is to reason out why you are angry. Secondly, we have to recognize, once we reason out, we have to recognize and confess your sinful anger and submit to God's sovereign plan. That's the second thing we need to do. First, we need to reason out, then we have to recognize it. So before I can deal with my anger, I've got to recognize that I am angry. That it's a sin and I'm responsible for it. Here's a challenge, church. If you are really brave, I don't know how many brave, how many of you are brave? Put your hands up. Nobody. I mean, one or two. There we go. 
If you are really brave, I want you to ask your wife or your husband. Not now, don't do it in the church. I want to maintain some peace in this church. Turn back to your, at home, not here. Am I an angry man? Am I an angry woman? But please don't get angry when you hear the response. You know, very interesting, as I was preparing this message, I was so convicted that I went and asked my wife. And I must tell you this, and she's seated here, it was a tense moment till I heard her response. I'm sure all of you are curious to know what she said. Go and ask her at the end of the service. But many Christians either deny being angry or they justify by saying it is an expression of their feelings. That's what everyone says. They justify putting the blame on the other for provoking I was doing all my work by myself. She came and did this to me. Or he did this to me. Rather than confessing their anger as sin and turning from it, that it's, they accept it as okay. It's okay for me to get upset because somebody's provoking. Church, God, God's way is not for us to blame the person who wronged us or to justify our anger as right when it is sin. It is never right to blame God for allowing some difficult situation that came into our lives. Rather, when I'm angry, I should acknowledge and say, be man enough, to be godly enough to say, God, I have sinned. Simple as that. Simple as that. You know, when Nathan came and confronted David, I often, you know, if you place yourself in David, the king who ruled and who had all the powers, and here's Nathan, a prophet, coming to him and saying, you have sinned. How much angry he would have been. David could have reacted many different ways, but he didn't do that. This is all he, David did. I have sinned against the Lord. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicted him. The Spirit convicted him. Confessing means accepting responsibility for it and taking appropriate action to turn from it. It means listen very, very carefully, church, going to the one I was angry and asking forgiveness. Asking forgiveness. Church, this is the only time the Lord is saying, leave the church. Leave the church. Look at this passage. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar there, remember that your brother has something against you. It's not that you have something against your brother. Your brother has got something against you. Leave your gift before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. It's hard. It's humbling. But it is the right thing to do. You know, when I was in the business world and, 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 and one of my partners, because of my partners, something, you know, I lost a ton of money. And I was really angry. I was really angry. And went into the legal system. I went to the lawyers and I sat with them and he prepared a case and he was suing for $1.5 million. And he said, Ron, this is something that you can get. And I'm going to fight to get it for you. You don't pay me anything. You pay me a portion of that. I could not sleep that night. I came home. You're happy to see a 1.5 million coming to you. I mean, but on the other hand, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. My wife couldn't sleep. None of us could sleep. 
I sat and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Every time I prayed, God said, uh-uh. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. So the next day I went to the lawyer and said, I'm withdrawing the case. He said, in my profession, I've never seen a professional doing this. You should not do this. I said, no, I'm doing it. My Lord will fight this case for me. I didn't stop there, church. I'm not saying this to, 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 to elevate me. Please don't get me wrong. I didn't stop there, but I couldn't preach. I couldn't, I couldn't pray because I was angry with this man. I couldn't forgive him. Then I knew I couldn't, I'm not worthy to preach. So I made an appointment with him. Now we don't, we are, we are, there's a court case going on, but I have withdrawn my case. But I made an appointment with him. I said, I need to see you. I took him out for lunch. I sat there and I said, I want to ask for forgiveness. I'm telling you. Every word I say is true. I sat with him and I said, he asked me for what, Ron? I said, because I, I held on to this anger. I want to release it. It's not about him and I. It's about me and God. It's hard. It's humbling. But though it's humbling, it restores the joy of the Lord in you. It gives you the inner peace. I must believe that God sovereignly out of His goodness allowed whatever happened to me for my own good. Church, it's the same with you. It's the same with you. So I must submit joyfully to His mighty hand. Asking Him to teach me what I need to learn from this trial. So the first one is to reason out, asking the question, why am I angry? Second one is to recognize my nature of anger and to confess it. Third one is to restrain your anger. Yes, that's what I said. You can control your anger. Church, if Christ truly died, both to take away the guilt of our sins and to give us power through the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome our sins, don't you believe that we can surely control our sinful anger? You tell me. On one mouth we confess that Christ died and He took away our sins and He gave us the power through the indwelling Holy Spirit to overcome our sins. On the other hand, we say, I can't control my anger. There is a problem here. Problem. So Paul's simple command here is implies that we can control it. Paul is simply stating, put them all aside, just stop it. There is no ifs and buts here. You may protest, Pastor, but the problem is I can't control it. I explode before I think about this. Pastor, this is like telling a woman who is claustrophobic, who is trapped in, the, in an elevator to say, do not panic. How do I restrain my anger? So again, as I was preparing this message, I thought I should first ask my wife how she does. So I went to her and asked her this. I said, dear, when, you, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you hold your anger? So she said very calmly, every time I get angry, I clean the toilet bowl. And I asked her, I said, how does that help? So very calmly she said, I only use your toothbrush. It took a little while for me to get it, but maybe the same to some of you. Leaving jokes apart, church, what? You know, we do things that we cannot control are the anger. But church, but that's not true. That's not true. We can control our anger. I'll show you two proofs very quickly. 
Remember one thing, the Bible never commands us to do something that we cannot do. The Lord will never ask you to do something that you cannot do. Otherwise, God must be a liar, isn't it? Paul commands here, in Ephesians we find that do not let the sun go down while you are angry. James writes and says, to quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. David says in Psalm 37, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. And there are many more scripture verses that we find. So if we cannot do it, the Bible would not have commanded us. So God told Cain that he must master his sin. That's what God said. While Cain probably did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in him, if only he had come to the Lord and said, God, I can't master my sin. Give me your strength to overcome this. I'm sure God would have redeemed him and relieved him of what he went through. But he didn't do that. You know, church, as believers, all of us, every one of us, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. In Galatians 5, look at this passage. Paul lists a number of deeds of the flesh. You know, if you really spend some time and look at this, most of it, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and the list goes on, which are all related to sinful anger. That's what you're seeing. And when you look at the second part of it, the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about love, joy, peace, etc., self-control, most of which are the opposite of sinful anger. So how do you bring a connection between these two? And the key to moving from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit is found in verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And we looked at what it means to walk by the Spirit or to walk worthy of the Lord a few Sundays ago. So while it may be humanly impossible to control your anger, if you will confess it as sin and learn to walk in the Spirit, in obedience to God, you can control it. Or else, God's Word is not true. Isn't it? I know it's a very heavy statement I'm making. But that's a fact. That's a fact. Church, the moment you feel anger welling up inside of you, I'm not only speaking as a pastor, but as an old man who has gone through life, you stop. Stop long enough. Do not speak a word because anything that comes out is going to be sinful when you're angry. Ask the question, how is what I'm going to say be pleasing to the Lord? I'm livid, I'm angry. How is it going to be pleasing to the Lord? The first verse, that word that comes out of my mouth. How is it going to bring glory to the Lord? Recognize it as sin and yield to the Holy Spirit and rely on His strength and you will see increasing victories, church. As a man who has lived this life, I'm telling you, you will find victories progressively. Progressively. It's a sanctification process. You grow into it. So don't lose heart. So to refrain the anger, remember God would not have commanded you if you cannot. Secondly, whether you think about this church, there are many times on your own you have controlled your anger. I'll give an example. 
Let's say you have a heated argument with your spouse and you are at the top of the voice, you are screaming and yelling at each other and I make a call to you. The phone rings and you pick up. Oh, pastor, how nice of you to call me. What are you doing there? How did you control the anger at that moment? You did. Yes, you are being a hypocrite, but you did it. You controlled it. If you wanted it, you can control it. Or your boss is doing something in the work. You are, you are livid. You really want to... Mm, but you stop it because your job is at stake. So you can put a lid and you can control it. So there are ways that you can restrain it. So remember that God would not have told you if you can't do it. Second, you always reflect on the experiences of your past. You have done it. So if you can restrain it that way, now I want you to say it's not just restraining it, how do you overcome that? That's the last lesson we are going to look at. How do we overcome that? How do we remove it? How do we radically make a change? Be overcomers of this anger. So just come along with me, please. To be overcomers, we have to deal radically and decisively with all your sinful anger. Paul says, put them aside. It's like taking off a garment. As you read through the verses, we'll sign that Paul says, put off this garment and put on the godly behaviors. So this is a decisive action that we had to do. So it all starts with this church. The first thing is that we had to make sure that we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm hoping and believing that every one of you who are seated here and those who are watching online, you have already committed your life to the Lord because nothing is impossible with the Lord. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. The minute you believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and He takes a permanent residence in you. He is a constant companion for you. Then we need to learn to walk in the Spirit to overcome that. So it all starts there. And then I'm quickly going to go through a few techniques for you to just to take to mind. The first one is that you're going to overcome anger with words. Words. Our words are an important key to a happy home, church. I always tell, even when I'm counseling, when I'm talking to people, life is not complicated. Life is not complicated. If God has permitted you to live with somebody, if God has brought a partner in your life, it, if it was God's divine plan, who are you to question that? Work around it. Work around it, church. Work around it. Our words, how we talk to the people are very important because our words must be tender, especially when we deal with our family members. Because harsh words can stir up anger and can cause even a small issue to explode. We must be very careful with the words that we speak because, church, here's the reason why you ought to be careful. Look at this passage here. But now, I'm sorry, not this one. I tell you, the Lord is saying, on the day of judgment, listen carefully, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every one of you. We might forget the words that we are speaking in our homes, but the Lord will not forget. 
forget because the Bible says he will remember we had to give account for every careless word that we speak. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So the first way to overcome is overcome with words. The second thing to overcome is overcome with humility. The humility is needed for us. We can turn the issue into a battle of prestige if you want to. Church, if you really examine why you are angry, the primary reason would be pride. Nothing else. Pride. How dare he says this? How dare she says this? How can, where is the respect for me? It's pride. Especially in the home, please understand this. Please learn this. No matter who loses, if you think that you have won a battle over your wife, if you think you have won a battle over your husband or, or a battle over your children, the whole family failed because you are one unit. I cannot say, I won, my wife lost. You have lost. Why? You leave to cleave. That's what the Bible says. You are one unit. Then how can you say that I won and she lost? Humility is the important key to a happy home. Have the humility take the first step of reconciliation in a conflict. Pride causes us to enter into frequent and needless quarrels. Church, the first person to reconcile, I'm telling you very frankly and openly, is the husband and the father. When you fathers and you husbands, when you fail to behave as a godly man and woman, your house is going to be a house where you will have evil influence. Do not blame your wives and do not blame your children. You are responsible because you are holding the highest position on, in your family. You are the spiritual leader of the family. I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says. But why are you angry and upset? Because your pride has been challenged. But overcome with humility. What did Christ do? He humbled himself, went to the cross. The Bible says, pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Overcome with humility. And the ne next one is we need to overcome with wisdom. Because I don't know how to handle the situation, God. There is a crisis I'm facing within my family. I don't know. I'm getting angry, God. Give me the wisdom. What is wisdom means? Wisdom means looking at looking things from God's perspective. From God's perspective. In, and also you should ask the question, in light of eternity, is it worth me fighting over this? Is it worth fighting over it? So wisdom will cause us to overlook offense and avoid strife. Look at this passage. A person's wisdom yields patience. That's what the Bible says. When you have wisdom, it yields patience. So the third thing that to overcome is overcome by wisdom. And the fourth one, it's important one, is to overcome with commitment. Let me explain to you. When you are committed to the role that the Lord has bestowed upon you, you ought to be faithful to that calling. No conflict in your, within your household or even outside should shake the foundation on which you stand. That's your faith, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a family, as a, as, as a, within your household, you should learn to attack the problem and not the person. Attack the problem and not the person. You should commit to praying for and with 
when you are angry. When there is a hostile environment within the household, the husband or the father should take the initiative and say, hold on, let's stop. Ask God for wisdom and how to resolve this in our ways. You know, sadly, there are, pa- there are fathers, even mothers, and they use the prayer time to preach to the other person. Lord, please help my wife and kids not to be so angry. I'm not telling God, I'm telling my wife and my kids, don't be angry. Confess your anger and ask the Lord to help you show His love to your family. When you fight and argue, please listen carefully, young parents especially, older ones, you know, we have but done, cannot be undone. The Lord has to show us mercy. Younger ones, please remember this. When you fight and argue, you are sending a wrong message to your children. You know what you are telling your child? This house is not safe for you. That's what they say. If you allow them to go to sleep with the anger, the whole night is going to be a playground for the devil to come in. And that's why Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold, church, if you do not resolve the issue that evening before you go to sleep. You are allowing the devil a foothold within your family. I'm not saying that. That's what the scripture says. So you, and, and here's another beautiful passage in, 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 Peter writes this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you, as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, husbands, So you overcome by the commitment to the role that God has given to you. Next is overcome with forgiveness. Be ready to to receive, be ready to give forgiveness. Forgiveness is the greatest gift one can give. There is power in forgiveness. There is power in saying sorry. If you have sinned by being angry, go to the person within your household or outside and humbly ask forgiveness for the wrong. Husbands again and wife, if you have argued angrily in the presence of the children, I appeal to you as an older person, I'm talking to the younger folks, because when you don't listen at this age and don't come, when your child is about 25, 30 and say, Pastor, can you please come and help my child? God has, I'll tell the young people, God has given you a blank sheet of paper. What, you, what, what is going to be written on this is written by you. Take responsibility now. If there has been an argument within the family, husbands and fathers, take the initiative and tell the kids, when I yelled at your mom, I sinned. Will you have the courage to say that? My pride. How can I say that to my kids? I have asked God to forgive me. I've asked my mo- your mothers to forgive me. And let that be a family time together. Let the kids know that, yeah, it's okay to get angry, but immediately we must 
have restoration. Ask your kids for forgiveness when you get mad at them. Otherwise, they'll smell hypocrisy. They'll smell it. Dad, you claim to be a Christian and you put on a big show in the church, but you don't act like one within the four walls of the house. Church, our homes should be permeated with the love of Christ, not with sinful anger. That's why even in the Colossians passage, he says this, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So overcome with forgiveness. Last but not least, sixthly, overcome with love. Love covers a multitude of sins. When we love one another, we would not be focusing on the faults and failures of each other. Instead, we would appreciate and cherish the good qualities we find. Church, what helped me mostly in conflict is to remind myself in the midst of the heated argument with my wife or with my children, this is the woman that I love most. These are the children God gifted me with. Your, your, your temperature is going up. You're about to argue. But if you can pause your brain and your thinking and say, this is the woman that I love, your anger will go down. Unless you are somebody you keep your eyes open when you are sleeping, fear of your wife, you should be able to trust her, trust your husband's. Because these are the kids that God has gifted me. These are the people that the Lord wanted me to minister. So we need to, it says, love covers all sins. And the greatest example of love is this church. But God demonstrates His love, His own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So overcome by love. So as I close this, there are four things that I told you about this dealing with killing sin before it kills you. We're talking about anger. Reason out. Why am I angry? Recognize. Confess your sinful anger. And then thirdly, restrain. Walk. with words, with humility, wisdom, commitment, forgiveness and love.